This is Cinema Degeneration. You are ordered to leave the Bronx. I repeat, you are ordered to leave the Bronx. The area has been declared uninhabitable and destined for demolition. Leave now and leave peacefully. who follow them will survive. Those who challenge them will die. You will see the future. You will be afraid. The first to die will be the lucky ones. 1990, the Bronx Warriors. They walk with death. Alrighty, folks, welcome once again to Wasteland Appreciation Month here at Cinema Degeneration. We are well into the festivities here, and we have our first uh, ever uh, double feature uh, for Wasteland Appreciation Month for our all post-apocalyptic dystopian wasteland theme extravaganza. We are going to be doing the Enzo Cast- G. Castellari uh, double feature of 1990, The Bronx Warriors, and Escape from the Bronx, its sequel, both coming out in 1982 and 1983, respectively. And my co-host with me this evening is my good buddy, Scott Temperman. How the hell are you? Excellent, excellent. Thanks for having me on again, especially for two cool movies. Very cool. Yeah, this is our first double feature, man. So Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I think we've done one other double feature on the show entirely when we did our... uh, uh, the abominable Doctor Fives double feature about a year and a half ago, but this is our first right. Wasteland double feature. I figure these movies are uh, like I say with a lot of these Italian films, and me being part Sicilian myself, I feel like I can say this. There's a difference between certain movies. Like Darity Argento is kind of uh, fine dining. It's like a uh, a nice carbonara right. or, or something like that, a little linguine. These right. movies are like pizza. You know, and everybody loves fucking pizza. So, oh, yeah. You know, 
you know, why not enjoy a good pizza? We're not we're not talking on the Grindhouse Pizzeria show, but you know, everything leans back in that direction. So absolutely, do <laughs> absolutely. Now, before we get into talking about the these this Bronx double feature, and I felt like this was a good a good one for us to do a double feature on because now a lot of these. Uh, Italian schlocky flicks from the 80s got sequels, but this one was Fast Track. Uh, 1990, the Bronx Warriors made quite a bit of money. I think it was a co-American release through New Line Cinema, if I was reading correctly, and it made a lot of money. So 18 months later, they fast-tracked and made another another one of these, and I'm here for it. I love these movies. But uh, before we get off into talking about these, uh, are you generally a fan of like you know post-apocalyptic dystopian wasteland movies? It's not my favorite genre or even subgenre of films. Uh, generally, I just find them very cheap and depressing, um, and <laughs> a lot of times visually boring. But um, I do like a lot of them. Like I like, um, or at least ones that have some feel of those. Like I like uh, Hardware is probably my favorite. Um, that's just you, you can't even that's like untouchable that movie but escape from the bronx oh yeah richard stanley is a visionary oh, yeah, yeah and, and dust devil was good not as good as hardware but it was good um but escape from the bronx um and 1990 bronx warriors i remember for some reason growing up and literally living in video stores um i remember the escape from the bronx more than 1990 the bronx warriors i remember the cover for escape from the bronx more and i remember um at an early age, just liking the the, the batshit crazy uh, energy of that one. I mean, I liked 1990 The Bronx Warriors quite a bit, but uh, the Escape from the Bronx always stood stood out to me. So, like that one, I liked a lot. I liked um, the hell else did I like? Buckaroo Banzai, which was kind of had kind of a little dystopian feel to it a little bit, and then like Circuitry Man and stuff like that. But um, Hardware, oh Circuitry like Man, I love those movies. So hardware would be your favorite. My number, yeah, by far, actually. Yeah. As I often say, there uh, with a lot of things, there are two uh, general types of people: those who love hardware and those who are those wrong. Who are wrong? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I, I have a lot of love for the post-apocalyptic genre. I mean, I my and favorite, like, like, like Hell Comes to Frogtown and Return to Frogtown, like those two, but you know, those were, oh yeah, Hell, Hell Comes to Frogtown, that was actually the first one we covered. <laughs> nice, nice. <laughs> that was the first one we covered in this series. Nice. But, yeah, I, I have to admit, uh, I, I've given this away on a couple of the previous episodes of this uh, Appreciation Month, but um, my, my favorite is, I'm a basic bitch, I love the Road Warrior. It just oh. came out at that time when I, I had like three like VHSs for like VHS tapes for like the longest time for like the first year we had a VCR and that was one of them. Nice. So it was ingrained in my memory. I could probably recite that whole movie, every line of dialogue verbatim. <laughs> nice. But yeah. Basic bitch answer. I love the road warrior, but like, but yeah, hardware. Stuff, it just how stuff sticks in your, your head for some reason. It just, you know, it just does. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, we're here to talk some of the stuff that I love about the I I, I love this sub the subgenre of Italian horror, Italian schlock, Italian cheese, like After the Fall of New York, Warriors of the Wasteland, you know, movies like that. I I love these. I, movies. I'm looking at all those tapes right now in my library as you're talking about them. <laughs> like, yep, there's my After the Fall of New York tape, <laughs> got it right here. 
Yeah, I actually broke out my um, Bronx Warriors uh, soundtrack that was put out by Death Waltz. I bought it from a record shop back in, like, April. And I hadn't even broken out of the the shrink wrap, and so I broke it out today and didn't even realize that it came with a set of lobby cards and a poster. So I got to give me some more fucking frames and try to figure out which wall I'm going to take something down from to put it up on. Because we all know that we... Yeah, we always have a finite amount of wall space and shelf space for these types of things. Right, exactly. But uh, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and give the folks at home, I'm going to give them both IMDb synopsis right off at the, the, the beginning here. Uh, so that you can just we can just talk about them freely. You know, we're probably not going to talk about them in detail. Otherwise, well, this will be a four hour show. And, <laughs> you know, we're recording this at like 1030 at night. So, <laughs> you don't want to <laughs> we don't want to, like, kill people. Exactly. Never, never real. But all right, 1990, the Bronx Warriors synopsis is as follows. In a post-apocalyptic New York City, a policeman infiltrates the Bronx, which has become a battleground for several murderous street gangs. And I feel like that's lazy. IMDb, that's just lazy, lazy, lazy. (laughs) But, you know, that's kind of generally what it's about, but there's a lot more going on. And the second one, the second synopsis for Escape from the Bronx is even cheaper (laughs) and even uh lazier than that a ragtag group of people must fight extermination squads amidst their ruined city i mean that is what the movie is essentially about i guess but i still feel like there is there definitely is and not, not to fool some people, because I know there's a Bronx Warriors, Warriors trilogy, uh, Blu-ray DVD set that was put out by Shameless. It's not. It's it, There's nothing to do with that film. The, bar, the what, New Barbarians is in it or something? Yeah, the New Barbarians. Yeah, but it has this nothing is just, to do with the other one. Unless they resurrected, uh, you know, uh, Strike from the, the Escape from the Bronx and, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, Ogre from... Uh, the actual uh, Bronx Warriors, you know, and, and recast them as, as they often do. But, you know, right. uh, it's just, I you think know, it was uh, the, the same was Italian the same film director? sometimes are retitled and reboxed. And yeah, it was the same director. So, yeah, that's the reason why. That's yeah, it. it's all done by Enzo. But yeah, Enzo, he, he knows how to direct action. Castellari does. I mean, he did. Oh, God, I mean, I mean, I, I used to love a lot of these movies. I'm just going to list off a couple of them. Well, Light Blast is a great one with Eric Estrada. I have that tape. It took me a while to track that tape down, but uh, the cover is great. It's so cheesy and wonderful. But that that was a that's a joy that one. But yeah, I mean, he he did the original Glorious Bastards. Uh, another oh, one right. I like a a police thriller that I really enjoyed, The Heroin Busters. Uh, you know. Kioma, uh, he did a, a bit part of directing the humanoid, which we've covered here on uh, on a past show. He's you know, he's directed like forty different movies, and he's still got it. You know, movies coming out today. He's working on something right now, I guess. Yeah, he's up no, there after, a little bit. Yeah, but uh, yeah, he's uh, pretty prolific. Now, I gotta ask uh, before we get off into some details of the movie. Do you have a favorite of these two films? Uh, between 1990 and uh, Escape from the Bronx? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, in, in typical sequel fashion, uh, a se- typical sequel-loving fashion from me, I, I have to go with Escape from the Bronx. Uh, and I, I like that quite a bit better. 
but I like both of them a lot. I just really like Escape from the Bronx. Now, what what is it about the the Escape from the Bronx that just you know grabs you a little bit more than Bronx Warriors? I I, I feel like the entire. You told me something that uh, you said you you're, you're, when you showed it to Patty, your wife. She said that the first one looked like it started out as a, like a roller skating movie or something. Now she can't. Now you can't unsee it. I totally, yeah, yeah, yeah. I totally get that. Um, it, it's kind of the first one is kind of like a a mismatch of everything. It works, but it's it's kind of a mess. And that to me looks like it was culled together from different films, even if it wasn't. It just looks like that. Um, Escape from the Bronx looks to me much more. And it's not, and they're not fooling anybody, but it seems much more Americanized. It seems much more cohesive. And mm-hmm. it, the action is literally, it's start, the, the, the credits in the beginning is action. And it doesn't let up the entire movie. Um, the story to me is more focused and more believable. I like the bad guys better. I like the whole setup better. Um, and I like the action, the whole set pieces of the, the second film much better. Everything about the second one, I like that. Yeah, I kind of like the the, the the one thing I like better about the Bronx Warriors is the the zaniness of it. The first one mm-hmm. is just a little bit more zany. Is mm-hmm. I, I call it like it's it's a third Mad Max, a third the Warriors, a third <laughs> Escape from New York, set around a bunch of roller derbies. <laughs> yeah, going on. That's like what Patty had said. She had not seen that yeah. movie before, and I was just right. like, "Now that you've said that, honey, I can't." Like, oh, you I, s- can't. I can't. I can't. Yeah, see I'm it. always going to think that forever. She, you should tell her she's, she's, uh, she's gotten into my brain with that one. <laughs> so. That's what she does. It gets into people's brains, man. That's, <laughs> That's what psychologists it. do. <laughs> That's right. I forgot. But the one thing I got, I got to pick on, because you know me, I nitpick a little bit. I yeah. do nitpick a little bit. Uh, something I never noticed, and I've watched these movies between 10, 20 times each. Probably watched uh, Bronx Warriors, 1990, the Bronx Warriors, probably a little bit more than Escape from the Bronx. Because right. for the longest time, I had the first one on DVD, but I didn't have the second one, so that is why. Right. But uh, in the opening credits, when it has the title crawl, crawl mm-hmm. Patty pointed this out. I never noticed it before, but they totally misspelled the word attempts wrong. <laughs> <laughs> they 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 spelt it with an extra T in it, and it was just Jeez. like I was like how how is that that this movie has been around for forty years, and nobody has thought to just going in and just when they've done these restorations and just fixing that. Yeah, but you know what? That's the part of the charm at this point. It's like just leave it, <laughs> just leave it. Right, right. That becomes part of uh, you know. That becomes legendary at some point. So, yeah, like if you see movies yeah, it's like, like, you know, when they leave stuff in the film by accident and it just becomes the thing that people talk about. That's cool. Leave it in there. It's cool. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I think what the first one has over the second one, and you may or may not agree with me on this one, is that opening credit sequence. It's just like it. It's it, just like a montage of weapons and people yeah. putting on face paint. It's so that's, fucking cool. And the music is very, great. Yeah, that's very Warriors-ish. And and also, and all Warriors are like, you know, untouchable movie. Um, and so, you know, obviously they, by by alluding to the Bronx Warriors, they, they certainly knew what they were going after with that one, who they were targeting, what audience they were targeting. But um, the, the thing that the first one did have that obviously no sequels have is they have the novelty. They have the, the 
you know, they set up everything. They established this this universe, this weird, this pseudo world that these characters and trash they all lived in. And that's never recaptured with sequels, no matter how good sequels are. Um, they don't you can't get that again. You you just can't because you've already there's there, those surprises are gone. So you've had the characters established and introduced. Now what you do with them is what's going to rope people in. And for me, I think they did a lot more with them in the second one, and that's what worked. But I definitely will give the the um, the opening to the original is cool because it's like what's going on. Like they're they're starting like like you said the paint the whatever they're they're slowly starting to show parts of them almost like chips, almost like the opening of chips show. Close yeah, up yeah, close this, up of that. Right, and so the second one starts, and it starts more of a dawn of the deadish. Like everything has already went to hell, and it's already manic and crazy. But the first one leads, and well, the first one's crazy too, though. I mean, they're chasing that girl. They have the motorcycle. They have, you know, it, it's just all crazy. But um, I don't know. I think the uh, I think the edge will go to the first one on that one with the opening and with the intro. I will give you that one. And the, and the and the like I said the 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 um the uniqueness factor. Well, speaking of uniqueness, is a, a thing that the the first one has is just part of the zaniness, and this was just something that happened because the band happened to be on set at the same time time that they were filming, and Enzo right. thought this would be great. Was that, that was so weird? The fucking drum solo. That was so bizarre. Yeah, when they find the dead gang member, he's uh, just I, sitting I, there in the middle by the bridge playing the drums, playing the drums, and playing that fucking drum, and that drum solo was tight. <laughs> Yeah, it was. It's great. I mean, they're showing all the gang members, and a lot of those gang members, many many of the extras were real Hell's Angels, and mm-hmm. I think it shows because n- none of them are real actors. The, right. they're, they're, they're all like this, standing there, sitting there with their arms crossed, or kind of right. giving a, you know, giving right. a grunt or, or a look, but none of them really have any dialogue. And I right. think that you know, why why, you, why would you need them? You right, got people. Exactly. We got people like Mark Gregory who plays the main character, the only character that comes uh, uh, back from the the first one that comes back for escaping the Bronx. But no, there is one. No, I take that back. I I was wrong because I made a note about this. Uh, Carla Brait has a small part in Escape from the Bronx as the leader of the Iron Men gang. Mm, okay, she comes back because she says something to him when you know. When uh, Mark Gregory is trash, comes back in escaping the Bronx from his scavenging mission, he brings the oh uh, what the hell? He brings a bunch of ammunition, right, to to the gang in part two, right. And she says like, hey, you know, you know, trash, I'm still still waiting on our bet, you know, or, yes, or something like yes. that. And she's in it for like fifteen seconds, thirty seconds, and then that's just that's just yeah. it. But yeah, really, Mark Gregory, who is sadly no longer with us, he he passed away in 2013. He disappeared, you know, after making a lot of these movies, and uh, you know, he didn't make a lot. I mean, I can't say he made a lot. He made like ten or eleven films. Yeah, he he's um, it's weird, you know. I mean, you've been to my house, but um, since you've been here, I've even it's evolved more my whole VHS room, and I mean, I have a giant ass section of black exploitation, like ton, like forty, fifty movies of black exploitation. Um, then I have all these other sections, but they're mostly genre sections. I have one specific section called Mark Gregory. It's just his <laughs> section. And Kim is like, what the hell are you doing? Like, who is this guy? But, you know, I, and, and I don't have many of his films. I have five of his movies and I, I could, you know, I have the two Bronx warrior ones on VHS. Well, I talk VHS, they're all VHS. And then the Thunder Warrior series, those three, which are 
you know, oh, again, yeah. pretty much cut from the same exact vein with that. But I don't have the uh, Adam and Eve versus the cannibals or whatever the hell it is. I forgot the name of it is, but I'm trying to get that one, trying to get a good copy on VHS. It's probably going to be bootleg because I don't even know what's available. But there's something about this Mark Gregory guy. There was just a, I don't know, like a, a vulnerability, but an honesty to him. And he certainly wasn't a good actor and he certainly didn't have a great presence, but something about the guy stays with you. He had, a, he had a certain look that just stayed with you. He had something him. about him. He was badass. And he was, it was very sad what happened to him because he, years ago, they started, someone started this obsessing over him and it was called The Search for Trash. I, I whole, was on that page. I was, yeah. I was a member and, of and, that page. Right. And so, you know, that went on for years. He was trying to track this guy down, a guy that became fed up with Hollywood and didn't want to be found or not even Hollywood just became fed up with the whole film industry and didn't want to be found. So if somebody doesn't want to be found, it's very difficult to find them. Um, but yeah, they found out that he actually passed away in 2013 with no fanfare and his, his, uh, his grave marker is a sad little thing on the side of this road. That's like this really forgotten, like, if any pet passed away, they would probably have been treated better with the the burial site than he had. And it's just very sad, but it just adds to the mystique of this actor who, um, you know, every time he saw him, he was pretty much dubbed over his voice. So, you know, half people don't know what he even sounded like or what he whatever. But the guy was great. There's something about him I really like. There's honesty about this guy and a, a vulnerability, a raw vulnerability about this guy that really comes across in these movies. And he was smart enough or directors are smart enough to hone in on that stuff and cast him for those particular roles See, i don't think he would be doing any shakespeare but no the no fact, the, the fact that they literally tailored these films towards him or at least made it look like these films were made around him that just worked very well for him i mean i, I don't know who else i don't know if you've seen the thunder warrior films but i don't know who else could i've seen those roles They're i've great. seen thunder uh, part one and two. I've never seen three. Okay, yeah, and they're all, they're all great. Yeah, but uh, I mean the fact that he died, you know, like a, a recluse and penniless. Uh, when and like, I read, like forty eight years old or something, like that's insane. Yeah, I mean that's that's a, a year younger than me. You know, that's yeah, a few months yeah, older, older than me. Right. But uh, I had read that the where he had died in uh, Castle Madama. Uh -huh. uh, which was uh, a little area outside of Rome that the city paid for his grave because he was so penniless that he didn't have the means to even be properly buried, which is just well, he, this is he, sad when you think about it's it. It's very sad, and he he was the um, and it's not just the the elderly that are preyed upon, but he was the victim of some kind of a financial scam, which literally cost him his home and his like I think his car, like everything. It it wiped him clean. And he never recovered oh, from that mentally or physically. It's, a, it's very sad. But, you know, at least we have, uh, I mean, it, it's a small consolation, I guess, to us as fans. We have these films where, you know, we can always revisit them and remember him, you know, at, at his peak, at his prime. Just because to be, just be associated with any cult classic, like of this caliber, too. It's like, good lord, it's kind of like a mic drop. Like you, you don't really have to do anything else. That's badass. <laughs> like I was in the Bronx Warriors double, you know, double that, feature, almost a trilogy, but it's not a trilogy. Yeah. But you yeah. know, 
and uh, you know, he just had you know, like it's like you said, it was it's something that I guess you could just say it was just like an it factor. He right. wasn't you know, he wasn't a Leonardo DiCaprio. He wasn't the 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 prettiest of guys. He wasn't you know going to win any acting awards, but he had some sort of like I, I just call it it factor. You just look at certain people and they just like the camera loves them. He was and, lucky that they had people that that saw that 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 were able to. Uh, it looks like they can. They said, "Are you, we? Are you interested in doing a movie?" And he would say yes, and they would just build a movie around him. That's, I don't know if that's what the case was, but that's what it seemed like. And to to have people that would do that for you, he's very very lucky for the short but kind of um, impressive film career that he actually ended up having, based on all those things against him. Yeah, if I walked out on life, and uh, you know, I. You know, when I when the door closes on my book or the 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 pages turn on my book, right? And uh, I'm done, and I, I was told that like, hey, you know, at least you had you know the Bronx double you know double feature that you were in. I'd be like, hey, I accomplished some shit. Oh yeah. <laughs> you know? I'd be oh, like, yeah. and this move, these movies are actually not uh, uh, with Mark Gregory. He's not the only one that was met with some uh, tragedy. Vic Morrow, who right. plays Jesus plays the Christ. hammer. Yep. You know, was his last completed film before he died making the the Twilight, Twilight Zone, Zone movie. Yep. And Which there's is insane. A, yeah, and the fact that there's a line in this movie where he literally said, Mark Mar- Vic Morrow's superior says to him, I wrote, I wrote this down, he says, if you don't get the girl by 11 o'clock tomorrow, I'll have your head. Vic Morrow oh, was decapitated geez. by a, a helicopter, helicopter accident, yep. and his character replies, We'll fly her in in a helicopter, uh-huh, which I sure. find is just really, uh, it, it's, it's, it's yeah. fucking eerie. It's eerie. Yeah, it is. That is. And let's talk a little bit about Vic Morrow, Vic uh, Morrow's character, the, the hammer. How in the hell the audacity <laughs> that they have Fred the Hammer Williamson in this movie and call him the ogre, <laughs> and they have Vic Morrow in this movie and call him the hammer. Right. If I ever meet Enzo Castellari, I'm going to ask him where I'm like, listen, I, dude, I love your work, but where do you get off? <laughs> right. right. Well, like, you know, the thing is, too, they Red Williamson. I've seen many interviews with him. First of all, I was lucky enough when uh, Jim and I were doing something for premiering the hospital. We were brought to Germany to do a, a premiere for it. And when we went to Germany, shit, they brought us with. They flew us in and all, and we were basically all joined at the hip the whole weekend. It was Jim, myself, Brian Krause, Fred Williamson, Donna Dragon Wilson, and and uh, who else was it? Oh, I think God, Naomi Grossman man. and somebody. Like there were, it was an insane group of people that we had, and you know, was talking to Fred Williamson a little bit, but then hearing some of the interviews that he's done over the years on, on uh, you know, on internet and and on normal regular shows and everything, he is very he's you know he's still with us of course i'm talking like he's not but he is but he knows exactly who he is and he's he is so unapologetic for that and he knows that he's got a very strong italian following he's got a very strong international following and so i think he and um castellari got along extremely well and they had a mutual respect with each other and Fred plays ball. Fred does what he needs to do, judging by everything that I've seen him in and every interview I've heard him. And 
he was right where he wants to be with stuff. And it's cool because he seems to be one of, to this day, one of the few actors that calls his own shots that, that almost, you know, they all seem to have agents nowadays. And I, I'm sure he does. I have no idea. I, I'm pretty sure he does, but he almost has the, and I don't know if we can curse on your show here, but oh, you, you, can, you, almost, you can say whatever the hell you but, want, but he, he almost has this, like, I don't give a fuck. Like I'm going to do this. And if the manager has a problem, I'm going to fucking do it anyway. And it's right, very right. liberating and free to be like that. So it looks like the thing that I did like about 1990, the Bronx Warriors was that aside from Fred Williamson, just being in it, he looks like he's having a fucking ball, absolute blast doing this film. And, um, and then we know that he's playing to his audience and he, you know, he created his own, his own film company over the years and he created his own persona and he's able, you can see him starting to really, you know, he was at that point, he was starting to transition from all the black exploitation films, which he, you know, basically helped define in the seventies. He was making a transition out of that into more of action stuff. And it was very right, successful, right. but it's, it's kind of interesting to see him starting out from doing that kind of stuff to transitioning to this. And this was a good, one of the good transition movies to see him really getting, getting out of that uh, black exploitation. Yeah, I mean, I mean, when he's introduced as the ogre, right? I mean, he is as cool as of a cat as cool can be. He's got right. the, the 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 red shirt, his silk. He's got that badass mustache. He's right. got the, the the cigar. He's comes in riding on those old forty thirties era forties era deuce coupes. Right. I mean, right. like, yeah, he is cool as fuck. You, you know, he had, a, I think he always had it in his contract, at least I remember reading or hearing in a couple of his interviews that he had certain things that had to be done in his pictures. Yeah. At least one of three things had to be done for he, it to be he successful. He had to get the girl. He, he had to never die. Yeah. Stuff like, yep. Stuff yeah. Like or, or he had to win all his fights. <laughs> right, right. And this one, you know, he, he does, he has his own bevy of girls. <laughs> right. And he, he, he does win all his own fights, but, but he does for one of the very few times on, on camera, he does die in this movie. Yep, yep. And in the Bronx Warriors, you know, like that, that is one of the. Well, I mean, we're, we're not ruining a movie here because, you know, let's face it, these are you know 40 year old film so if you haven't seen them <laughs> if you haven't seen them by now shame on you and right. if you haven't if especially if you haven't seen them what are you doing here uh, pause the podcast and go right, watch exactly. these movies and come back and, and watch. catch up with us yeah exactly yeah catch up with, catch up where we're where we're at right but uh my biggest complaint about that first movie is that they kill the ogre yeah. I, I just think, it, I mean, he gets a badass death scene. I mean, he gets shot yeah. in the back. He, he stumbles around a little bit, but he sits down, pulls out his cigar, sits on his throne right before they turn the flamethrower on him and just goes out smoking a cigar like a, like, he's just a bad motherfucker. And well, you yeah. see, you really, and you know, Fred is a, a phenomenal actor, very layered and he's a extremely skilled actor. Um, and I don't know his his upbringing or his, his training, but he looks like a classically trained um, actor. Uh, but when you watch him and, and it's weird because even if you see him in like from dusk till dawn, even and all that he's acting there, you can tell like, that's cool. He's into it. But in this movie or in, the, in, in uh, 1990, you get the feeling that I get the feeling that he's, 
like when he's smiling and everything, I have a feeling that he's just having a good old time. Like I, I, I can't get the, I can't draw the, I can't delineate the, uh, the acting and Fred, uh, right, there. And right. I, I, I love it. I think it's enjoyable and it's, it's believable and he's having a great time, which makes the, uh, the viewer want to have a good time. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a very enjoyable movie. Yeah, I mean, like when he's talking about, you know, when they're uh, when they find the, the the dead gang member that's part of, you know, uh, Trash's gang. Fred the Hammer Williamson is ogre is the only person who can keep, continuously keep saying the word gizmo and not seem silly. It's like, like my guy was one of my guys was carrying the gizmo. I'd be worried, Trash, and it's like he can the only one that can get away with saying that and make it seem cool, right? But. Uh, there's a lot of like, there's a lot of great uh, characters, and like I said, we had Vic Morrow as Hammer. He's the right. guy in the first movie who gets sent in, uh, you know, to in, to invade the the Riders, you know, because that's right. what the gang is called, the Riders Home, because the Anne is the daughter of the president of right, the Manha- right. of Manhattan Court, right? And she's she wants to leave, you know, the nice posh world of Manhattan for the wastelands of uh, Bronx Warrior or the Bronx. Now, what we've kind of glossed over here for the folks that are listening at home, if you're if you're not up to, on this, uh, basically what has happened in this future in the in the futuristic world, the far far away futuristic world of 1990, uh, the Bronx has turned into a no man's land. You know, there's no there's no police state, and there's not a police state. There's nothing. There's no kind of uh, there's no type of law law and order. Sounds, gangs, sounds like New York now, actually. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it sounds like it New really York. Does. It sounds like New York for, for for a long time, really. <laughs> I've been I've been to Queens. I've I've been mm-hmm. I've been to the boardwalk. I've I've I've, I've, I've born and raised in Queens. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. I've seen some things. I've seen some yep. things. But yet, you know, but that's basically the gist of the story. I mean, they really escalate it with Escape from the Bronx, which is like, you know, so much hitting upon uh, Escape from New York that they just like <laughs> yeah, we're just gonna say the Bronx. We're just going to say escape, and you know it, it is what it, it is. Like I said, these they, movies are are part Mad Max, part the Warriors, they and really part. Are escape. And, and and what is Escape from the Bronx took to me a really nasty turn, which I liked, and I'm not. I don't want yes. to come. I don't want to come out being pro anything, but the fact that you had this group, I think they were called like the Disinfectors or whatever, and they were literally annihilating people. They want what they did is they were trying to. I haven't watched it in a while, but they they were like trying to uh, develop land, and it was people living there, and they were literally trying to kill them off or scare them away, just so they could inherit this land and do what they needed to do to do the building on it. And Trash was back, and he's like, "No, fuck, no, you're not doing that." You know that he's shooting. He starts right off shooting a helicopter out of the sky with a handgun. It's yeah, bad. like three minutes <laughs> into it, he he takes a <laughs> right. revolver out. Like he's he's precision precision bad aim ass. with that revolver. Yep. They're shooting at him, and he's just like, just kind of like, sidestepping the bullets, and he just pulls out a revolver, shoots five or six rounds, and and blows the fucking thing right out of the sky. Yeah, I like I, the, the first note I had about Escape from the Bronx. I'm like, things have really escalated since the original. Yep. Like it is, and like there's that sign that says "Leave the Bronx, sign up right. for a new house in enchanting New Mexico," right. and. Yeah, these disintegration units or uh, or uh, whatever they were called. I, I wanted to say they were called disintegration units. Uh, 
Yeah, disintegrators but, or something. But yeah, they were, oh disinfectors, I think. Disinfection. They, they yes. were um, but they were like fucking Nazis, like literally. They were like gathering people up, and it was crazy. It, it, and it, the, the dark turn that that movie took, um, and that was to me where it really looked like it was more global this time around. Like the entire, it looked like this huge police state. Um, right, and, and right. in the first one, you almost get the feeling like it's, you know, it was more of this, uh, almost a warrior's type of thing. Like these, these, these groups of, you know, these, these, um, startup groups of maybe gangs or whatever were vying for certain parts of a smaller pie. Yeah. That's they were just like, like, they were kind of like, 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 just, like ter- territory just. Right, like this gutted area is what they're fighting over. And in Escape from the Bronx, you see how global this went, or at least it had that appearance to it. And we had all the politicians involved in it, it getting news cut. Like, it was huge. And it was just much more widespread. And to me, it was it painted a much more bleak uh, picture of what was going on. What I thought was ballsy with these films, too, because these these films came out, you know, out of nowhere. They didn't have really big budgets, and they were, you know, for being foreign films and right away saying we're in New York and we're in the Bronx in such um, noticeable locations, you know, it's very, you can't, it's tough to play off New York city if you're not in New York city. Yeah. Stuff. Especially if you're, they, if you're in the middle of Rome trying to pass it right. off as New and, York city. But they did like, if, especially in escape from the Bronx, they look like they're in, also under the ground the whole time, but they look like they're in New York city, even with all the outside scenes, they really do. Um, the, the ballsy thing they did, though, because every time people make these films, they usually set it like Blade Runner or, the, or like whatever. They set it years in the future, years in the future. Escape from the Bronx came out, what, or 1990 Bronx Warriors came out like 1982. They're talking about this big, desolate, fucked up world eight years later. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, they're talking like pretty ballsy to, to not really push it out far. They could have easily called it like you know twenty ninety the Bronx Warriors yeah. and it would have Something been like it would have had the right. same impact. They were just like, yep. no, this shit's all happening in less than a decade. Yep, exactly. I think they uh, I read that they had they filmed for three weeks in New York on the first film mm-hmm. in the first Bronx Warriors, and I don't and, think they filmed in New York at all for the second one. Um, they they so. spent two weeks in New York City getting up some exteriors. Yeah, they did okay. two weeks of shooting in New York, uh, but some of the actors never never set foot in new york most yeah. of the new york stuff was done for exteriors but henry silva off. was like never set foot in new york he was he was in rome the entire time huh. and the i think the death toll in the first movie was 34 34 people this tells you how bleak folks at home this tells you how bleak and dismal uh, the 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 fate of the people are in the, <laughs> the escape from the Bronx the, the, in the uncut version. Okay, I'm giving you the numbers here. Um, this is not I didn't count, but this was done on a YouTube video. There was 174 people killed in this movie. Good lord! 110 died by shootings, 40 by explosions, 19 by flamethrowers, one stabbing, one off screen off screen kill. Four killed off uh, unknown deaths, six electrocutions, two bass in the face with a helmet, and one face turned into red mush after being hit with the butt of a shotgun. 
See, that's badass. <laughs> you would not want to see that movie. That's good stuff. Yeah, and like the the action scenes. I mean, Enzo really knows how to yeah, to choreograph the action. Like the use of slow motion and the choreography is really really good across both films. Right. I feel like the the hand to hand combat is a little more prevalent in the first movie, where the second movie, it's 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 all flamethrowers. Right. Everybody's getting killed by flamethrowers, and the the effects are like I want to know how they did a lot of these effects because there was no such thing as cgi back then right it literally yeah. looked like they were shooting people in the face with flamethrowers in these movies yep yeah <laughs> and and that might not you know might have been uh what they did to a couple of them right. i mean maybe they were just like because they you did a few you haven't huh? seen them after this film you haven't seen a lot of these people <laughs> yeah yeah film. exactly <laughs> but That's uh funny. But yeah, I mean, they're, it's a brutal, brutal transition. And like, with the second movie, uh, in the opening of the first, of the, 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 not the first movie, it was the opening of Escape from the Bronx. See, I'm getting, I'm getting myself confused here. <laughs> but, but they're just killing people left and right. And, you know, yeah. uh, you know, they're, they have these tapes playing that says, there's nothing to fear. We're going to sign, sign you up right. for a relocation in New Mexico. Right. And, but they're, they're getting everybody to come out of their their homes, and they're literally they're just shooting them to death with machine guns or yep. roasting them with flamethrowers. Yep, yep. And they and they all know about trash. He's pretty much like the infamous. Like they still know him from the first movie. From what he did, yeah, exactly. They're all talking to him. Even the the politicians are referring to him as trash, and like they know what's going on. Yeah, so they eliminate his parents. They don't say kill. They don't right. say they're going to murder. They eliminate his parents. Right, and. I felt like that was just excessive. <laughs> that was a, yeah. I mean, I think people that's were unscrupulous at the yeah. The, that's what kind of drove them. Kind of, I think, really drove him to, you know, revenge on that one because he was. I mean, he came out shooting. Literally, came out shooting. Then he took that helicopter down right away. But that was kind of a, uh, and and you know, I'm glad they didn't stay on that long because it was. I don't know if it was played for emotion, but he certainly didn't show much emotion. <laughs> Probably due to his acting, limited acting abilities, but um, he got the point across. You know, he took it, yeah. went on with it. I felt like he brought it for a second, like when he initially saw his mother Maybe. laying there all scorched Maybe. up. But like, not really. He, he brought yeah. it a, a little bit. Yeah. But it, like, also, I think it bears mentioning here that Mark Gregory was only seventeen when he made Escape from the Bronx, or right. uh, seventeen when he made from Bronx the, Warriors. Right. And was 18 going on 19 when he filmed Escape in the Bronx. So he was still pretty wet behind the ears. Yeah. And he was somebody that wasn't a classically trained actor. He was, I think he was uh, discovered at a gym, like working out and some, because he was a pretty built guy. Although I did, (laughs) I did read one bit of trivia that uh, Enzo uh, Castellari was a little disappointed when uh, you know they they started filming about a year year and a half later uh, after the first movie because uh, Mark Gregory had lost a bunch of his muscle mass he was working out a lot and like bolted <laughs> up for the first movie so that's why you see Trash wearing a jacket pretty much throughout the entire movie and he doesn't take it off until like the last five minutes. That's funny. Now I got I got to ask, uh, do you have a favorite villain? from these two movies probably henry silva 
Yeah, same, same. Yeah, I mean, and he was basically, I like Vic Morrow, and but they, and they were different characters, obviously, but they were almost, you know, when when they do sequels, they usually try to mimic a lot of the characters. So he's essentially a carbon copy of um, Vic Morrow in the first one. But I think they gave him a lot more to do, and he was a lot nastier. And he had, um, you know, he was driving around in that truck a lot. Like, there was a lot more motivation there. There was a lot more hands-on stuff. I felt like Vic Morrow was uh, early on, was it early, pretty early on when he was uh, going through the, going up to the building or through the building, or whatever. But then he didn't seem to make much of an impact. And it's Vic Morrow. I mean, he he would. He's a good, good, strong actor. I just thought Henry Silva was front and center throughout. And a real, very good head-to-head foe for uh, trash to go against, and I think it worked perfect. Yeah, yeah, because he uh, uh, Henry Silva's character was Wrangler, right? And he's you know in charge of the elimination or the disintegration squads, General Construction Corporation, real like heavy, heavy names there, GC Corp. But right. uh, I love when they tell him, you know, uh, his, one of his uh, confidants is trying to tell him, he's like, well, headquarters said that, you know, we need to do things their way. And he just like replies, he just stares at him and growls, fuck headquarters. Right. right exactly. <laughs> he's like, it's time to wreck shit. Right. And <laughs> Silva is just mon- maniacal in this one. He, he is though anyway, like I, I like him anyway. Like he, he kind of plays, Henry Silva in this. Like he, <laughs> it was just, that's just how he is. Like he, you know, flips his shit for things. Was he like flipped out about the coffee or whatever? Yeah. Um, yeah. The, that, the, that, was, <laughs> that was totally him. That's good shit though. I mean, he brought it. Yeah. There was a line that I can't remember. It's like, Oh yeah. He flips out. He, he says sh- no sugar. Yeah. It gets me crazy or whatever. He said something like that, but he yeah. says no sugar. It makes me crazy. Something like that. But that's, that's I was like, yeah, that's him. But he did a good job with it. It was, uh, he was just front and center in there, and I, you kind of needed that in uh, the first one. I think you, he almost had as much time as a trash did, uh, if not more. Uh, I love the the one of the bits of trivia as if it's not apparent because of the title. The bits of trivia for the Bronx Warrior says this film takes place in the 1990s. <laughs> and like it's in the title it's in the fucking title and in the bronx <laughs> yeah it also takes did you know that this movie takes place in the bronx <laughs> oh no uh and a little other bit of trivia enzo uh castellari the director and one of the writers was uh played the vice president of the of the manhattan corporation in the first movie he makes uh, a cameo in the second movie uh, in a couple of scenes as the radio, the mustachioed uh, radio yes, operator. Yes, yes, I knew that one. I, I didn't think I picked it up in the first one, but yeah, I knew that. Yep. I told Kim, I told Kim that actually we will watch that one uh, not that long ago, uh, the second one. But yeah, yeah, uh, I just love when. You know, I'm a, yeah, you're a director as well. I'm, I'm sure it's something you look for, you know, when you know that a director, somebody like uh, like Castellari or like a Hitchcock or a Tarantino always has a little cameo of themselves in the movie. I always keep my I, eyes open for that. I, shit. I, I think I think a lot of people wish that Jim and I would, um, you know, relegate ourselves to cameos <laughs> front and center half the time. <laughs> hey, it's, it's, <laughs> hey, it's our movies. We can do the fuck we want That's with them. Right. right. Amen. Uh, some of the ridiculousness, though, of this movie, like, 
uh, I love a movie or a series of movies that has their own lingo yep. and has their own kind of, uh, what do you want to call it, technology and, you know, and uh, lingo with their technology. Mm-hmm. Like the gizmo. Like, couldn't it just say it was a two-way radio, but no, it was a watch. It was like an Apple watch. They, right. were, pre- they were foretelling the future yeah. right there. Yeah. Yeah, and, no doubt. Uh, I, I love little tricks that they do in the first movie. Uh, the trick that Hammer pulled when he was disguised as a postmaster. And he has that, like, poster tube that he's literally carrying like his shotgun in and the trick yeah. he does with the hidden shotgun and he blows away the first two gang members and tries to make it look like a setup. <laughs> yep. And then he does that damn, that fucking two story jump out the, I know it wasn't Vic Morrow, <laughs> but he just does that two story jump. I'm just like, Ooh, that, that was be a couple of broken ankles. Yeah, seriously. And the stunts, we got to talk about the stunts in this movie a little bit. A lot of the fight scenes, you know, some of the, the, the fighting, you know, is a little ragtag. It's mm-hmm. not a glossed over, you know, Jason Bourne or a John Wick kind of thing. And I, I love those movies, too. I'm not knocking them. But sometimes mm-hmm. I like things that are a little rough around the edges. Mm-hmm. But they put their actors in the thick of things. Like in the first movie when they have the attack scene when um, uh, Ogre is fighting up against uh, Golan. That's played by uh, George yeah. Eastman. And George yeah. Eastman is just a fucking monster. Yeah, he's he is. a huge, huge dude. I mean, like when he walks into the room, he becomes the room. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when they're fighting, I mean, th- th- it's a lot of him and Fred Williamson doing their own stunts. Yeah. Like a lot of the motorcycle riding. You know, I uh, understand from what I understand, uh, watching some of the behind the scenes and some of the interviews. I think I probably watched a lot of the supplemental material, the same supplemental material that you watched. Mm-hmm. Trash. Mark Gregory wasn't an experienced uh, motorcycle rider. You know, they put him through a crash course and how to, you know, to to literally handle his motorcycle, and he's doing a lot of his own stunts himself. Right. And I got to give him credit where credit's due, man. That I mean, you wouldn't get, you just wouldn't get that today. You wouldn't get that at all today. They well, would have general, stuff. they have right. They have so much, so many regulations in place, and so much safety precautions, and so much just that. They, even the people that are doing the stunts also have so many precautions in place. And everything else, so <laughs> right. it's very far removed from the actors now doing that themselves. Yeah, and like uh, there was a couple of scenes where, uh, oh, the the actor that played Strike, what was his name in uh, in, in uh, Escape from the Bronx, Giancarlo Pret. Now he was also in Warriors of the Wasteland, which is another like that's a good movie. I like that movie. Yeah, yeah. He he was also great in Lady Hawk. He was mm-hmm. in a couple other movies that I know. I mean, uh, he was in. 50, 60 movies. I mostly mm-hmm. remember him in, in, like I said, Warriors from the Wasteland, uh, The Last Blood, Lady Hawk, and a couple others. Like, there's a scene where they're repelling down those, they're repelling down from one area of the sewers to the other. He drops down like 30 feet, and it's him. The camera's on him. It doesn't cut away because, you know, why would they have more than one camera set up? Right, right, right. Exactly. <laughs> I, I just, uh, you know, it's just amazing to be watching some of these old stunts. It makes me appreciate them a lot more yeah. than, like, the stunts work I see today, if that makes sense. Oh, it does. It definitely does. But, uh, yeah, there, if there's one character that I can't forgive uh, in either one of these movies, and I'm sure you probably know which one I'm going to um, – I'm leaning towards here, is Junior 
you know, strikes kid. <laughs> kid actors, man, nine times out of ten. Oh my I, god. If, if they're if they're the age of twelve boom, or under. Boom. <laughs> yeah. yeah, where you would just go kaboom. Yeah. Boom. And it's like uh, I actually didn't think he was as bad as many, but yeah, he was not good. Yeah, he he he's he's not great. He's not the worst I've ever seen. He's he's no you know Bob in House by the Cemetery, but <laughs> then again, nobody is uh, a Bob from House by the Cemetery. <laughs> I'm just saying. But yeah, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Junior, Junior was they really that the Escape from the Bronx would be so much better of a film if that character just wasn't there. They didn't need they him. Just, I was just saying, they didn't need him. It was I don't think it was really bad. He didn't bother me that much, but they just didn't need him. They didn't need him. Yeah, they could have just had that, the, the, this let that dude. strike absorb yeah, that character. Yeah, he'd do it all. Yeah, they could have, uh, yeah, that, like I said, doesn't ruin the movie, but it doesn't do anything doesn't, doesn't for bring anything the movie. Right, exactly. Uh, I, I do like the, the inner struggle between the gang in the first movie when Trash's buddy Ice is conspiring with the char- with the character Hot Dog. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, the, the truck driver that's also in cahoots with the, the Manhattan Corp, and he, he's helping Hammer infiltrate the gang. Right. Like, I, I like that kind of inner struggle but with mm-hmm. the gang, but, like, it seems like in the second movie, things had progressed to a certain point where they... Right. They all had their own, still had their own separate gangs. There was the writers. There was, uh, um, oh, what was uh, Dablone, Dablone's uh, gang's name? I can't remember, but the the guy that had the underground lair and escaped from the oh, Bronx. Like, yeah, they were separate, but they all worked together. You know, like, it looks like. Yeah, uh, there, there was a difference, though. Like, I, and maybe, I mean, I kind of agree with you saying in the first film, <clears throat> I mean, hell, when it started, it was this way. Um it did have, and again, because of the name and because of the timing that it came out, it came out, you know, what, three or four years after the Warriors. Um, they damn well were trying to emulate the Warriors. Why would you not? You know, if it's if the formula works, do it again. That's, you know, might as well try it also. Right, um, right. And so there were, the first film had a much more Warriors-like feel because it was, it was more territorial it was more gangs going after each other or at least established organizations working together and doing everything right uh, right from the beginning in the second film hell it starts right off where they already showed trash as like this one man crusader he is almost like rambo immediately he's jumping around they're shooting at him and he pulls out the gun and shoots the plane like right from the beginning they established he's more like a lone wolf and then when he went underground you think that I guess he associated with them and that was like his safe haven, but I didn't get any sense of that really being a, an organized, you know, fighting group that was just like, they were hanging out there and he was kind of almost like their protector to a point. And he had right, that one, right. that one leader that was kind of jackassy or whatever, but he was pretty much front and center and the lone wolf until he paired up and, uh, you know, with his little kid, right? his little kid. <laughs> yeah. sidekick I think that, that character that you're talking about, Dablone or Dabloni, uh, however yeah. you pronounce it, I'm pronouncing it yeah. bad, but it was uh, Antonio Sabato Sr. Yes, yes. Yeah. Yes. But, yeah, he, but, you know, that, so they made that more like a one man versus everything. And if my one critique 
of when one negative uh, critique of Escape from the Bronx would be probably that I think it misses that element um, that the first one had because I, I really did like I love the Warriors. I mean, that's one of my favorite movies of all time. So yeah, because you I, recently I did, uh, dressed up as one of the Warriors. I for did. Yeah, I was, I was a for Halloween. Theory. Yeah, but I mean that movie forever has been one of my top ten films of all time. As and, well, it should. Yeah, and and so I kind of appreciated a lot of the similarities, and that was missing Escape from the Bronx. But they had so much crazy nonstop action in that one that it didn't even give you a chance to sit and catch your breath and think of how preposterous a lot of the whole thing was. It just kept going. It kept going one one crazy, unbelievable thing to another, and it didn't you didn't mind it. You didn't have a chance to analyze it and pull it apart because it was just so fun to take in and watch. That that's what that's what gives the second one the edge to me. But there's definitely some pluses and and uh, about the first one, and there's a lot of edges that the first one. I will give the edges to the first one for a lot of things. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Like the, I mean, it's in the title, the Bronx Warriors. Right. You know exactly. that they were that's really trying. Yeah, it's not an accident whatsoever. Like uh, I said, it, it still is equal parts Escape from New York, Mad Max, and the Warriors, but they leaned right. really heavy on the yep, Warriors. Yep. And I feel like by the time the second movie came out a year and a half later, it had became its own thing. They didn't right. need to rely on that that kitschy kind of ness of, of the Warriors. Again, it was another year and a half removed from the Warriors. So they're like, okay, we're not going to emulate that so much. It it it, it kind of had its own identity by that point. It did, but I don't know what came out first. I just know it was the same year, but First Blood was that year. And it was another, like lone wolf against everybody and i'm wondering if that kind of followed in that one's footsteps i mean the, the and nothing to take anything against the away from these italian films because i think they're great but they certainly know how to emulate what's popular at the time oh and yeah they, sometimes successful sometimes not but i'm thinking that most likely maybe first blood came out first because <laughs> there were even parallels to draw between uh, uh, first blood and escape from the Bronx. Yeah, yeah, a little bit because I mean it's one man versus you know a, a virtual army. Yeah, and I mean, and I mean, that's the, my opinion. I could be wrong, but you know, you know, it, it seems legit. It seems like a legit. Well, legit, no, actually, uh, I'm sorry. Escape from the Bronx came out in '83, when and first blood came out in '82. So yeah, that's very likely. Actually, yeah, it it could have been. Yeah, I mean, like, in, by I mean, the first movie, you know, Trash has a gang. He has a group. Right. He has a bunch right. of confidants. By the right. second movie, Trash has just become a scavenger. And, and while everybody he, else is living underground, he right. even has parents in this in the second movie right. where he right exactly exactly like that he he was um he was scrapping with a lot of people in the first one. He had people that fought alongside him. In this one, aside from you know one or two people that join him two thirds of the way through the film. He's on his own and everyone else just hanging out there and come on, Trash, come join us, come down here. You know, that was kind of their extent of doing anything. So, uh, right. And that was more of his, like I say, he could hang out there after he was fighting for everyone's freedom all day. He could go down there and recharge his batteries and eat and hang out. Like that's what you kind of get the feeling that that was like his safe haven, his recharging station. Right, right. Because he was, he was a sole operator in that one. That was his, his his man cave, so to speak. It really was. It totally was. Now, the one thing I don't understand, well, I, I mean, I understand it because it's, you know, it's somebody taking you away from your home. But uh, his parents, 
you know, the mother is, you know, saying, let's get out of here. You know, they're going to relocate us. We've never even been to, you know, New Mexico. Maybe Mexico, it'll be right. nice. Yeah. But Joe seems awfully attached to that disgusting hovel of a shitbox place that they live in. He's willing <laughs> to die for it. I would be like, you know, I'll take my chances. Yeah. I'll take my chances getting relocated. When we, we know as an audience that they're not relocating to anybody. They're just killing everybody. Right, yeah, right. they're they're just burning them up with flamethrowers, which is like what a horrible way to go because they're burning all these people to death. But I'm just like the fact that Joe like takes out the first four of these motherfuckers as they're coming in with right. a baseball bat and just obliterates that first guy. Like he turns his head into yeah, hammer. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it shows you what an Italian can accomplish with a simple baseball bat, as I often say. <laughs> You know, he's not Joe Pesci, but, you know, is a hey. reasonable facsimile thereof. Exactly. But, uh, yeah, gosh. <laughs> I'm trying to think what my favorite lines are uh, in these movies. I, I don't, I know in the first movie, or the not the first movie, in uh, Escape from the Bronx, when the president, or is it the vice president, is telling Henry Silva's character, the Wrangler, he's like, you're worse than even they are. He's like, correction, I'm worse than anybody. <laughs> and that tells you right there, like, he does not give two shits about anything. He just wants to eliminate these people. He yep. I mean, he even says, them, says at one point, they're a race apart. You know, he is definitely thinks they're subhuman. Right. And it's, you know, I mean, I'm not, like, uh, agreeing with him in any way, but I'm saying for his character, that's what you want in a villain. A villain who believes he's doing the right thing. Right, exactly. And... and or that at least he's the sanest person in the room. And that's why I think he really works just a little bit better than Vic Morrow uh, as Hammer in the first movie. And though, I'm, yeah. again, not dissing Vic Morrow at all. No. But, like, he gets a little maniacal at the end when they're, like, <laughs> when they're attacking everybody at the end of the first movie. And he's just giving that, that over-exaggerated, that hammy, maniacal laugh, as I call it. Just that maniacal. <laughs> <laughs> right. Henry Silva never gets that. He never changes his expression, even when he kills somebody. Right. Exactly. Yeah, he was he, all. I I, uh, I liked him better for sure. Yeah, but if it worked for me better. It worked in that universe for me. It worked better. But uh, let me try to think. What was the one line that, that I'm going back through my notes here? But uh, oh, <laughs> this is the, the the line that I have. Or is this a, it's not even a line. It's, it's a bit of graffiti when uh, the hammer is going into their their lair, the writer's lair. And this is in a big, bold letters in italics, spray painted on the wall. It says, this shit heap is the writer's home sweet home. <laughs> I just, I, I, I guess, I, I may, maybe that says something about my moral compass, but I, I love shit like that. <laughs> but that's just, <laughs> right. it's, just, it's just great. Uh, you know, uh, I guess another great line is the the no sugar. It makes me crazy. It's like the that one time my, we... that was my favorite because that that really showed um to me that showed the actor, and I think that was kind of a nod to his fans because um that's kind of how he was anyway. So. <laughs> well, he was all. I mean, gosh, he he's played bad guys in Chuck Norris movies, like Coop, uh, yeah. Steven Seagal movies. He, yep. I mean, he, he he was even in one of the Ocean's Eleven, and was one of his last movies. I mean, he's always he's he always plays a great 
character. You when you, you when he's in a room and he's on camera, he's the one you're paying attention to. It doesn't matter yeah, who's on camera with them. Right, definitely. And uh, I, I feel like though the ending of the the second movie also trumps the first movie. And I'll say it because of this: the the ending of the first movie it it ends very abruptly. You know, yeah. I mean the. The, the group's kind of partying. They're not knowing the trouble's coming. You know, they ride in, the police ride in on horseback, which to me seems very impractical to try to traverse the, the rubble of the Bronx <laughs> on a horseback. At least in, in, in the second movie, they had they had vans and buggies and, and trucks. But, well, the uh, second one had a real, and, you know, I said this earlier on, and they're, they're clearly Italian productions, both of them, but the second one seemed much more polished to me, much more. And I could be wrong, but much more Americanized. And the ending had more of a typical Hollywood style, almost like an upbeat, happy closure ending. Yeah, um, like there was hope. Uh, hope, and it, it just it ended on a lighter note with the kid and the dad leaving, you know, go, oh, that's all that shit. Um, and it, yeah, I mean, it just seemed like it was, uh, it was a definitely an, up, an upbeat ending. Yeah, the first movie it just ends very abruptly. It does, you know. Uh, Trash shoots Hammer with that spear gun, yanks right. him down, and drags him off it. You know, where stops on that really weird freeze frame when we get the ending credits, and that's just it. And you know, goes from a maniacal lap, spear gun, drags him about twenty yards, and then it just freeze frames. Right. And the Escape from the Bronx, I mean, Strike and Junior try to convince uh, Trash to, to come go back down. Yeah, right. to go with them and go back underground because Junior's like, yeah, I don't like it up here. It's a little crazy, Dad. Let's go back yeah. down. They try to get him to come, and he just shakes his head no, kind of like the Rambo ending. You know, right. he's just like, I'm, I'm going to walk away and go off on my own. Right. He walked you know, off I, into I, the sunset, essentially. Yeah, the, it, was, it was the hero's journey, as they call yep. it. You know, yep. the hero's journey was over. Yep. And it's all wrapped up in like a kind of really neat but bloody bow, uh-huh. <laughs> you know. Uh, I, I I agree with you. It's a more uh, Hollywoodized kind of an but ending. But it was a more it was more of a satisfying ending. And you know, I don't necessarily need um, happy endings. In fact, I don't I don't usually like them. It's like if, if me it either, the, man. If it fits the film, that's fine. But if it's a cop out just to send the audience out not being dejected or or um, having feel like they got kicked in the gut, then that's a cheap way out because you 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 kind of want to earn that. Like if, if it builds to then ends happy, that's fine. Don't just end it on up. No, a beat. No, just to send people out feeling, but that's a cheap way to, to leave. My thing is I do though. Like when like, okay, when the first one ended it, it, you said it ended abruptly. It didn't have to end happy, but it ended so abruptly. It's almost like they ran out of film and a credit started rolling. Have another scene cut just to another scene. Even if it's not a happy one, just don't cut in the middle of action to roll credits. Like there should always be a fade out, comes back, something happens, and then the credits roll. That's fine. It doesn't have to be the the end happy wrap up, but there should always be another scene. Uh, pretty yeah. much always, and and there wasn't in here. Yeah, in and like in one. the first movie, it just felt like like I already previously said, it just felt really abrupt. It felt like it they did. like they didn't even have enough money to finish the shot. Like the shot right. goes on for a few seconds and they just freeze frame and it's like, oh right. wait, we're not even going to see what happens to trash. We're not going to see something. something. What happens? Yeah, yeah. It just it just even felt even like, if he even if uh, it just just faded out, came right back, and he's maybe dusting himself off 
sighs and walks away. There's nothing happy about that, but there's more of a closure. Yeah, something, just, just he stops, something. you know, unties the, you know, hammer's corpse from his motorcycle and something, yeah, stares something. up at the sun, you know, or something like that. No but words are necessary, no, no happiness, no certain beat. It's just something else you need in there. Generally, most movies need that. Yeah, it, it gives you more a sense of finality. You exactly. Know, it's just... But but this but like I, I feel like they tied it up with an like I said a nice neat little bloody bow at right. the end of the second movie because you know Wrangler ends up dying from uh, trash again you know with his trusty you know three fifty seven <laughs> Magnum right. and shooting it very strangely like he's throwing the bullets at at uh, right. you know Wranglers <laughs> he's trying to drive away I, I thought that was really weird yeah. somebody didn't teach him proper gun etiquette but that's right. okay it's okay I I, I can forgive that. But that's uh, but yeah, but we've I think we've summed up both these movies pretty well. We have got they're fun from... movies. They're great movies. They they really are, um, hidden, overlooked, um, gems out there. And and even with the fairly, I think it's fairly recent. I don't think it's brand new, but the fairly recent, inexplicably packaged as a trilogy, uh, release on DVD or Blu-ray, it's still overlooked. And I think that kind of has disappeared for some reason like it's not really getting any fanfare which is really sad because a lot of these not just these italian uh post-apocalyptic wasteland theme movies but like the italian subgenre of film in general just i don't right. feel like other than the the fulci's of the world and the argentos of the world which i love i love those guys don't get me wrong but it's this feeling like there's oh there's like argento there's fulci and these other guys right 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 you know, and I, I feel like they just get sorely overlooked. And folks at home, if you're listening, if, again, if if you've listened to this podcast all the way through, we have completely ruined these movies for you if you haven't seen them. <laughs> but I implore you, go and watch them. Get 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 the get the get the trilogy box set because the new Barbarians is still a damn good movie. It really it's has not, nothing. It's not. Yeah, it's not a bad movie. No, it's not a bad movie. But that Warriors of the Wasteland uh, Endgame is another uh, good Endgame. one. Yep, Endgame's good. Uh, battle truck but i think that was australian or new zealand but you know still yeah. uh, you know that 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 subgenre of foreign uh-huh. post-apocalyptic flicks yeah, they're all really good i mean that, that they all have something uh something unique to offer some of them vary a little bit in quality you know there's ebbs and flows they're not they're not all great like these right. but the, the they're always interesting and i have to say this they are never boring they yeah, are at all. never ever boring nope. um I feel like it's going to be really weird to try to rate these if we want. Uh, uh, well, I'll, I'll leave it to you, Scott. I always like I always let guests go first with a you know a final summary of uh, their thoughts on these movies, and a rating on a scale from one to ten. So if you want to rate both of them, that's fine. Or if you want to rate the, the two of them as a whole, that's fine as well. I'll leave that decision up to you. Yeah, I, I think um, the, the, obviously these were not any Academy Award winning films, and and so. I know people are, you know, I have two horror books out on overlooked movies and I rate them as a fan and not a critic. And I've been getting people telling me that they appreciate that because there's a difference in saying stuff like, well, for this type of thing, it's really good. But, you know, people are annoyed at hearing that. Uh, I think I'm going to have to do, I am going to have to do twofold uh, reviews on here, though, because uh, ratings, because um, I do want to rate them as a film and then as a uh, entertainment factor. If I can. So, oh, yeah, of course. The, the movies are certainly riddled with issues. Um, they're plagued by continuity problems and the, the foreign uh, 
origin to them also creeps in a lot and acting leaves a lot to be desired. So they're, they're kind of a mess. And, and to be honest, I would, if I had to rate the films, I would probably rate them somewhere like uh, as a quality film, I would rate the 1990 Bronx Warriors probably like a five and the Escape from the Bronx, maybe a, a five or five and a half, maybe a six. Um, entertainment okay. wise, entertainment wise, I would probably go. Um, I, I think we, you guys, you and I are usually together. I think we may differ a little bit on this one, but I would probably go seven on uh, the Bronx Warriors, 1990 Bronx Warriors. And for Escape from the Bronx, I'd probably go ahead and do a nine on that one for entertainment factor. I really liked Escape from the Bronx. I like the, 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 the pseudo universe that they created with the first one. And I think they did so much more with the second one. Uh, and it was much more polished and it was much more cohesive as a story, which is the reason for the big separation between the two. Uh, they're both great. They're both great to watch together. I just think the second one gets a big upper hand uh, in terms of entertainment value from the first two. So that's my opinion. Seven for the first one and a nine for the sequel. Uh, I, no, I, 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 I agree with a lot of the sentiments that you've uh... Uh, I I have to say like I can't give a uh, Escape from the Bronx quite a nine. I just I just can't. I I me. love that movie. I have a great time. I just love it every time I watch it. <laughs> I, I I love both these movies, but I can't go quite as high as as a nine. I I would match your seven with the first movie. Okay. Because I feel like uh maybe maybe go seven and a half. I'll say seven and a half the first movie, and probably I'm gonna. Like entertainment wise, like action wise, Escaping the Bronx is leagues better than the Bronx Warriors. There's just so much action. I mean, like we had a hundred and seventy some person kill count. You, you don't get to that point with that's just crazy. You know, Michael Myers ain't killed that many people and across like what fourteen films already. <laughs> but um, I would give the second movie, Escaping the Bronx, probably like you said because it is a little more polished. Uh, it's a little bit better acted. Uh, it's, it's a lot better written. Uh, I would give the second one an eight. Okay, that's fair. Because, you know, before I was leaning towards the other way around, giving Bronx Warriors an eight and Escape from the Bronx a seven going mm -hmm. into them. But, but okay. rewatching both of these, I, I gave them each a couple. I watched uh, Bronx Warriors twice and I watched Escape from the Bronx once. And then I watched the, the Rift Tracks version. Again, oh, just, nice. just for shits and giggles, just because because it was there, and I was like, "Oh, shit, I didn't know this existed." Right. But yeah, no, I, I'm, I just I'm, think you know, rewatch rewatchability factor and entertainment factor. I think second one has a definite upper hand on that one, in my opinion. Yeah, and I, I, I just feel like the 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 second movie has more of its own identity, which is the yeah, reason why both I great, give it a though. I mean, bit I I really enjoy both of them. But yeah, I feel like seven and an eight about where I stand. Seven on the Fair first enough. one, eight on the second one. So we're not we're not that far off. No, not we're not far. that yeah we're not that far. But yeah, the um, I think we're the the only thing that I would would get, lean towards liking the Bronx Warriors better is just because of Fred Williamson. But that's that's not you know I agree with that. 
That's not but a, you could, a you could film get him construct playing. kind of thing, but you know that's just a personal preference thing. Yeah, well, no, yeah, you could get him playing that role though in in better movies, um, the same role almost. So that's why I, I mean, of course, Fred's great, but you, you can get him playing that great role in something else that's a a, a little more pulled together. In my yeah, opinion. yeah, but he seemed like you, you said he seemed like he he's was having, having a great time. He he's having, having a He's having a real fun time. Like yep. uh, Tom Commissar and I had just reviewed Warriors of the Year 2072 directed by Fulci. Mm-hmm. And Fred Williamson is great in that. Right. But he doesn't seem like he's having a fun time. Right. He, he, he's just kind of it's, – it's there. He's, it's a job. It's a paycheck. It, he's doing his job. He's always the – you know, gives a, per, a professional performance. But he just seems like – it was a little bit, I don't know, like it was maybe it was more bleak subject material and that's the way he was playing it. But like as the right. ogre in the in Bronx Warriors, he just seems like he's having so much fun. He's like just he the does. king of the mountain and, and yeah, he he's really great. Does. He does. And maybe one of these days we'll do a Fred Williamson Appreciation Month because I would <laughs> not be adverse to that. Hell yeah. Uh, but that being said, I think we'll stick a pin in this one for the, the evening. I know it's getting a little past midnight where you're at, so I won't keep that's you right. any longer. Yeah, uh, I, I know what you got going on, uh, but maybe you, since uh, this will be coming out next month and about the same time as the campaign will be uh, ending or just about to end, but maybe you could tell people a little bit about what you have going on with Cruel Summer 3 and everything else you got going on. Yeah, we have a Cruel Summer 3 that we're uh, currently funding right now, but when this uh, podcast comes out, it probably this episode, it probably will be over, but we probably will be launching a finishing funds campaign or something just to help with uh, getting the additional funding that we do need. Um, it's the uh, final chapter in our uh, indie slasher, 80s throwback slasher, indie horror franchise. Cameron is in it. I'm in it. You know, Jim's in it. All these people are in it. Uh, but this time around, we've got Felissa Rose from Sleepaway Camp. We've got Beaches. That's awesome. We've right, got, right. Uh, we've got Beaches Buffley, who plays Amanda Kruger. Freddy Krueger's mom in it. We've got John Dugan who plays Grandpa from Tex Chainsaw Massacre in it, and we've got Santiago Cirillo who plays uh, Julio in The Walking Dead. So we are star-studded with this one. It's going to be a blast, a lot of fun. The script is good. I'm excited about it. We're starting to line up locations and shot, line up shooting dates. But um, please keep an eye out for that finishing funds campaign because I know we're not we're, we're not quite hitting our goal. We have a lot of expenses and. Uh, we could definitely use the help for that. So I'm sure when it comes out, we'll be pushing it all over. But please feel free to jump in, help out, donate whatever you can, because every dollar really does help help be a part yeah. of this film. Yeah, yeah. And this has been a fun fun ride making these movies with you. Absolutely. Absolutely. And to, to make a, our own fucking slasher trilogy, how cool Hell is yeah. that? Hell yeah. yeah. And like I said, this, this show will drop probably within days of the – the original Indiegogo ending, it'll probably end, it'll probably come out right before it ends, so there'll only be a few days. So hopefully this will, you know, come out, get a couple of hits, and maybe it'll uh, give it that last minute boost. So I, I can well, hope. And if not, but, we'll uh, be doing another. We definitely are going to be doing another one. So that's it is what it is. We'll get it done regardless. Yeah, so check it out, folks. That's uh, Cool Summer Three through Los Bastards Productions with Scott Tupperman here and Jim O'Rear, and another uh, couple of people that we you know work with here in Cinema Degeneration: uh, Jerry Reeves, Tom Commissar, you name it. Uh, 
we're, we're it's all one big happy twisted uh, demented family. Always. <laughs> it's just like our own little Bronx Bronx Warriors. Uh, it really thing is. Going on. Yep. <laughs> Although true. you're the only, you're the only one from the Bronx, so <laughs> not even, but yeah. <laughs> well, well, from 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 New York anyway. <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah, right. <laughs> All right. Well, well, Scott, thanks, man. I know it took us a, course, a while. Man. This to, has been awesome. Us, us going through a couple of, uh, you know, delays and stuff. But this has been fun. It's been almost a year since we recorded. I, I've yeah, missed shit. this. This has been awesome, man. Anytime again, we don't have to wait this long. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll do it again soon, man. Um, Absolutely. Well, folks at home, you have been listening once again to our Bronx Warriors and Escape from the Bronx Enzo Castellari double feature here. On Cinema Degenerations, a post-apocalyptic wasteland appreciation month. As always, thank you very much for listening. Thanks, guys.